This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with David Marno, a scholar of Renaissance literature and religious practice. This episode is about poetry, prayer, and paying attention. It's difficult to maintain attention when surrounded by distractions. Even if we're just trying to focus on our own thoughts, distracting words have a way of popping into our head uninvited. David Mano has been studying early Christian thinkers, for whom prayer meant paying attention to God, leading them to worry that distracting thoughts were caused by evil demons. But avoiding these demons of distraction wasn't the goal for everyone. The poet and preacher John Donne believed that true attention could only emerge out of distractedness, and so wrote poetry that moves readers from distraction to spiritual attention. David Mano, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So you have been studying the role that attention plays in poetry and prayer. And maybe we could just start with um, like what, what, um, yeah, in what sense are you using the word attention? What, what does attention mean for you? So when I got interested in attention, I went to religion because it was there that there is a serious literature about the question of how people pay attention to the words of their own prayer. This is a very ancient discussion, although it survives into our own days. But in that context, the question is precisely how not to get distracted from your own words. Yeah, so like, yeah, I'm imagining someone praying and they're sort of like sitting silently with their eyes closed and maybe their hands clasped together and... I feel like there's there's you're you're kind of saying words in your head and trying really not to be distracted by like noises around you, things that are happening, right? Like Exactly. That's like quintessential prayer. Exactly, exactly. But even if you manage to exclude the noises of the outside world, the noises inside of your head can still bother you and distract you from what you really want to focus on. So this is a problem that never goes away. So like the words that you might be speaking, I mean, so we're talking in a Christian context, right? So the words you're speaking to God, there might be other words in your head that are unrelated to that, that are trying to kind of jostle for your attention and distract you from that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And the question for people who think about this is always, which words are actually inspired by God and which words come from the demons? Wow, so so like religious thinkers worrying that actually some of those other words that were trying to distract your attention from God were demons putting words in your head. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Okay. Is there a particular thinker that um yeah, that has most vividly talked about like demons or like distracting words as being like demons? One of my favorite authors in this context is uh, Evagrius of Pontus, who is one of the very early monastic thinkers. And for so like him... A, like an early Christian? An early so Christian like... monk, essentially, yeah. yes. Okay. And he wrote some of the first treatises focusing very much on attention and attention's role in prayer. For him, the question repeatedly is the question of demons, how to avoid them or how to fight with them, because ultimately 
you can never actually avoid demons as distractions, at least according to Evagrius. So att attention in the context of prayer is not necessarily about successfully shutting out everything else, but finding a way to sort of like manage it so it doesn't distract you. Exactly. Speaking of distractions, I'm just wondering whether those, how are those sirens sounding? They're coming through. Um, yeah, Do you think we should maybe shut? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, It'll be a little bit stuffy. Oh my gosh, that's so much better. I feel like some demons have been shut out. <laughs> um, okay, great. So John Dunn, who is the main author that I focused on, was more or less a contemporary of Shakespeare. And somebody who is better known as a poet, but who was also, towards the end of his life, a very prominent preacher. Would you mind if I read just a short passage from one of the sermons where he's very Great. explicit about this problem of, of attending? Yeah, please do. So it's a sermon. It's a sermon. That yes, he exactly. In okay. one of the sermons, uh, in actually many of his sermons, he talks about attentiveness. But this one, I think, is particularly appropriate in this context. I throw myself down in my chamber, and I call in, and invite God, and his angels thither. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels. For the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. And if God or his angels should ask me when I thought last of God in my prayer, I cannot tell. A memory of yesterday's pleasure, a fear of tomorrow's dangers, a straw under my knee, a noise in mine ear, a light in mine eye, an anything, a nothing, a fancy, a chimera in my brain troubles me in prayer. Wow. Yeah, so I feel like the, the part that really struck me there was this idea that like, he realizes at a certain point that he has already been distracted, but he can't go back and like pinpoint when it happened, the moment that he stopped actually speaking words to God. We're not aware of our attention being shifted as it happens, but only sort of like retrospectively, we can look back at like these things that, um, yeah, divert our attention before we know it's being diverted. One of the strangest things about, or most striking things about this passage to me is the fact that it delights so much in the description of all the distractions, right? Like, yes, it complains about how not only can we not be fully attentive, but in fact, we don't even remember when we got distracted in the first place. But there is so much delight in describing the distractions. And there's also yeah, the buzzing flies yes, and the exactly, creaking and the, carriage and, and all of how those we go from those external distractions to the internal distractions, how even a memory can be distracting, how even a thought can be distracting. You can never fully in this life get rid of distractions and you, they just keep coming back. And so life is, as you just said, a perpetual managing of, yeah. uh, of distractions. Yeah. So. Would you like some tea? Um, there you go. Um, um, how I came upon the problem of attention in Don was uh, very indirect, if you will. I was just reading some poems that I find particularly fascinating. They're called the Holy Sonnets. 
And my interest in the sonnets were just the inventiveness, the extreme virtuosity of those poems. But then I was kind of disappointed by the ending of these poems, which tended to be much more, I would actually call them flat or just sort of devotional commonplaces. So these and like great works of poetry, but actually the endings really didn't work for you. Yes. It just seemed like, especially from an author who is so good at invention and originality, why would these poems end on notes that at least I, from my own perspective, found somewhat boring? Yeah. Or like unoriginal? Unoriginal, flat, commonplaces, cliches, devotional cliches. Could you give us an example of one of those? So this is a holy sonnet that begins with the line, this is my play's last scene. And uh, it ends with these two lines. Impute me righteous, thus purged of evil, for thus I leave the world the flesh and devil. Okay. Do you can see you say, what I'm can saying? Can you say it a second time? I just want to really process. Impute me righteous, thus purged of evil, for thus I leave the world the flesh and devil. So just impute me righteous, well, just doctrine. It's a Protestant statement about how salvation can only come from God and I cannot do anything for it. Okay. So, it's so just this was doctrine. a kind of commonplace at the exactly. time. Exactly. It's okay. a doctrinal commonplace. Not to mention, for thus I leave the world, the flesh and the devil, which is another cliche that keeps coming back in the period. In fact, it is included in set prayers, for instance, it is included in the Book of Common Prayer. So how could... A poet who has such a rich fantasy and imagination and his poems on notes like this was my question. And that's where attention came in because okay. I started thinking about what if we think about the poems as ways of creating the kind of attention that is able to think these commonplaces anew. Yeah, so they've sort of become kind of cliches or at least they're so kind of worn out and and are you saying that like a certain kind of attention allows us to sort of see them as like fresh and new and relevant again actually in the case of dunn's poems even more specifically they prepare your attention in such a way that when you finally reach those words the ending words they come to you the way in which a thought would come to you, a new thought. Like we all know that experience of suddenly a thought occurring to us. That kind of comes um, out of nowhere. Exactly. And so, wow, yeah. so the poem is a preparation for a thought that already existed before you, nevertheless occurring to you as if for the first time. So then could you maybe quote a little bit of the earlier part of the poem to give us a sense of how it's doing that work of preparing us? Sure. This is my play's last scene. Here, heavens appoint my pilgrimage's last mile. Let me stop here. These are just a set of figures to describe how this is my last moment in life. What is really important is to be able to hold on to this last minute, mm -hmm. this last moment, just like attending to the last moment of your life. Um, so do you want to continue? Something really strange happens. Then, as my soul to heaven her first seat takes flight, an earth-born body to the earth shall dwell, so fall my sins, that all may have their right to where they are bred, and would press me to hell. And notice that what is strange about these lines is that 
if the first lines focus on that very last moment, then these next lines actually go wildly beyond that and actually start imagining not the last moment, but what comes after. Yeah, that. right. Like the earth and the like body being put into the earth, right? Like very like literal moments after death. Exactly. They all come after death, soul to heaven, body to earth, sins to hell. <laughs> like there is a, a kind of like things falling, things moving in all kinds of direction. It's very sensational. One way of reading this would be that from the very beginning, the poem seems to be engaging in something like a devotional exercise, which was an exercise in attentiveness. Then the speaker, having tried to attend to that last moment, been distracted by the very words of the poem. Yeah, well, I feel like maybe my attention as a reader, certainly it's like, okay, my attention goes briefly upwards, and then it comes back down, and then it goes to the earth, and then it goes even, you know, to hell. Like, my attention certainly is very distracted in that passage, right? And the poet, like, is also distracted? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Could you read, so we've read, there's just two lines left, right? Yes, exactly. So could you maybe read those again now and kind of, you know, yes. how we understand those, those a little differently? Yeah, so the last two lines are, again, the most sort of cliche lines of the entire poem. Impute me righteous, thus purged of evil, for thus I leave the world, the flesh and devil. And so the question is, how does the previous wildly imaginative part of the poem prepare us for the final two lines, which are really the prayer lines? Impute me righteous. It's the first address to God. And right, just like in prayer that in very the sense of like asking sense. God for something. Exactly. That's where the prayer In that begins. very literal sense, it's the first time that the poem actually just prays. And so when I talk about how the poem has been preparing this act of attention. It's not so much that the poem trained attention, but rather that the poem actually created artificial distractions. As if like, oh, but wait, I've been distracted by all of these things and all the more reason to really attend to this one really important act, which is the act of prayer at the end of the poem. So could we say this poem is almost like creating distracting demons for us that then it kind of demonstrates like how to overcome them? I've never thought about that, but that's a really good way of putting it. So the poem itself as creating the demons, inventing the very demons that Avagius talks about so that it can feel the discovery of attention again at the end. Yes. One final question. What's something surprising that you devote a lot of attention to in your own life? Whoa. Jokes online. Oh, yeah? I'm I'm quite addicted to them, I have to say. And when I confess that to people, sometimes they say, so you like to be distracted, right? So a lot of people consider those things distractions. And I don't know if I would want to push back against that notion, but it seems to me that one of the things that one can learn from this tradition of thinking about distraction and attention is that attention is actually not possible without distraction the true acts of attention actually come out mm. from distractedness. Yeah. So jokes are a bit like the sort of like demons that you sort of willingly bring into your life just to kind of help you. Maybe, yes. find Maybe attention. those are my <laughs> artificial ways of distracting myself so that I can occasionally afford moments of attentiveness. Yes. David Mano, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. 
That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip on why prayer isn't about asking God for what you want, but about aligning yourself with God's plan. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening. <laughs>